Hello and welcome to episode 7 of the Noise Creators Podcast. Today I'm with the awesome and talented Ace Enders. You might know him from his own bands like the Early November or I Can Make a Mess. He's also an established producer. Uh, he's done a, a bunch of cool records with people like Aaron West in the Roaring Twenties, Young Statues, The Weekend Riot, and Carter Hulsey. Ace lets us in on what he's doing production-wise, how he feels about things, and tells us all about his really cool studio down in South Jersey. You should check this out. It's a great conversation. Thanks for being here with us today. So uh, what's the chain you're using to record your voice today? I saw it on the video. It was a, a nice-looking fancy Neumann or something. Yeah, the TLM-103. That's what Very I was nice. going for. So, so I, I think both you and Rob Freeman went that down that road. So, uh, I mean, that's been my go-to for years, so... Nice. One nice. of my fave. I, I, I agree. It's one, one, a very good mic in the toolkit. So can you tell me about your background in music first? Well, I uh, got started in a band called the Early November. Got mm -hmm. uh, first you know, signed to Drive Through Records. I was probably 19 years old. The year was 2001 or 2002, and the world was completely different. Uh, <laughs> it was. It indeed was. <laughs> yes, it was. So things uh, things were different in the old music business. But, um, I mean, that's where I got my start. And it's been like, uh, you know, it's been quite a roller coaster since. I think right after the band ended in, um, I want to say, well, the first time when we broke up, it was like 2006. That's when I started doing production and making that like a, you know, closer to full-time thing. And, uh yeah, man. Ever since, it's just been a good combination of the both. So what drew you to production? I think I've always been like just extremely fascinated with how you can... Uh, well, writing has always been my favorite thing, like songwriting. And then seeing how sound, you can translate that emotion and take it even farther. And I think my whole thing is like vibe on a record. And that that's what brought me to production is just the idea of really being able to manipulate a sound and make it more, make the song more sad or make the energy, whatever the energy has to be. And it's like, that was always, I, I love layers and textures and all that stuff. And uh that's definitely probably my biggest thing that brought me there is just manipulation of a human emotion one step farther. Nice. That's a, that's a, I, I like that, the, the manipulation of hu human emotion line. That's very good. Awesome. So you have your own studio. Tell me about your studio. All right. Well, the studio that I have, I've never really had a name for it. It's like had a million different names. But um, right mm. now, I but have... I, you know, I'll give you this. I committed to a name in 1999 on a whim that I thought I would do two records there. Yeah. And now, f 16 years later, man, do I hate that fucking name. So, so... Choose wisely. Keep choosing wisely. <laughs> yeah. I, just, I think I'm just going to roll with it. Like, has no name, and I'll just go with that. Uh, based on that, but yeah, I do. Um, I love it. It's a nice little space, about twenty five hundred square feet above an, an antique store. So it's like that's my favorite part of the whole entire thing is when you walk out of a session. It's like if you're so tense and like stressed, whatever about or thinking of a song, you uh, walk out the door and you're in an antique store, and it's um, it's pretty cool. That's probably my my favorite thing. Uh, my next question was going to be what makes your studio unique, and I think you already spoiled that one. Yeah. <laughs> That's cool. So, so, so you got twenty five hundred square feet. Um, do bands live there too, or you? Yes, just, yes. Very cool. Tell us about some unique gear you got there. I have a um, a, a big old console from the eighties, a, a Sony MXP thirty thirty six. That that's, that's I, funny. That's what I learned on. 
Really? That's awesome. Yeah, yeah the, the, I started out at a studio called West West Side, and he has yeah, one. Yeah. Wow, I didn't even know they had one of those there. That's yeah, great. Yeah, they have a whole analog room in the back of it now. Awesome. Yeah, um, yeah that's a great sounding console. Yeah, I love it. I feel like I could. I know I could push it really hard, and that's my, my favorite thing about it. I think um, I've got that. I've got some fun little mics like the like the Neumann and the Blue Cactus and some cool a bunch of old guitars vintage guitars are probably my favorite um, a lot of 70s Gibson stuff and whatnot and uh, yeah I think like as far as gear goes I like things to be like you know, warm and old pretty much <laughs> nice nice um, so what informs that choice that you like warm and old you know I think it just can contributes to the whole vibe thing and the whole like the manipulation of the emotion it's just like for me that emotion is always like sadness part of the roller coaster you know if the song has is a roller coaster it goes up and down i think warm for me is that blanket that you just lay over top of you when you're just like sitting there and you want to feel comfort and i just i guess i relate it to that and that's just why i've always been drawn to you know a warmer not so uh you know cold sound Nice. So what instruments do you play? I play a bit of, you know, as far as your four-piece rock band, I, I play almost, I play everything. And then as far as like, I uh, sadly don't do any horned instruments, which I wish I did. But uh, yeah, you know, just um, I, I play pick, pretty much pick up everything, you know, a little bit. And uh, yeah, yeah. If you're programming stuff, I love playing the machine too. I don't know if you can say you're playing the machine, but I do love love programming as well. So. But, but play, playing the machine is a it seems like a, a better song title than real description. But yeah, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> On scale, I like to think of it as like um, so you got like your Steve Albini uh, who like doesn't get involved with the songwriting and just maybe will make a comment about your ta takes, and then there's like the John Feldmans who will fully rewrite your song um if those two are the bare ends of a scale where do you see yourself on that scale i think i'm right there with uh the john feldman type i do i enjoy being a part of it just as much as like i mean for me that's why i do it you know mm -hmm. definitely in that case so i, I imagine that that's going to bring to this to the next question which is uh what do you bring to records most often well i find just i, I think the biggest thing is for me i every record i go into before we start doing anything, um, when I hear a song for the first time, I, I usually don't listen to the music or demos before because I want to hear it at its barest place. So I'll may I'll have a band or whoever like perform the song completely with just a piano or an acoustic guitar, and we take it from there. And I think I bring um, a lot of times probably my most beneficial things in that right you know in that moment to where it's just like we make the song as strong as it can possibly be by itself and then add everything on top of it and that's where all the textures and i feel like a lot of the um ambient like type of just movements that you typically wouldn't hear in um you know certain styles i like to do a lot of clashes and whatnot so i feel like you know that's uh that's probably my strongest place for sure Nice. Yeah, I think that that's something that doesn't get touted enough songwriting wise. Is like you know, it's like 
so funny when bands get into like their Radiohead phase and they want to like make all these crazy sounds. It's like, dude, if you took that Radiohead song down to just an acoustic guitar or just the piano, it's an amazing song, and then they add crazy shit to it. Right, right, absolutely. Sadly, that gets lost on many bands when they start to get past the playing the three chord punk song and then get yeah. wild. Oh, I hate, I feel that. What's a common mistake you see bands do before they get to the studio? I think fall too much in love and create with their like, um, one thing I always say to bands is like, you know, when you make a demo or when you make a song out of that first, you know, when you first make the song, once it's done, let go of it, you Mm -hmm. know? And once you have your concept there and your idea and your little, whatever you want to call it, like completely let it go. And use that studio time or time with the producer as the time to let that kid or whatever it is go through, you know, the, the motions of becoming an adult. And I think like, uh, one thing, a mistake that happens a lot of times is people get too attached to what was there because rarely do you go into a a situation that if your song was going to be exactly the same as your demo, you would just keep your demo. Right. I, I don't, I think like that's a big, a big thing that people uh, you know maybe have a hard time with is just understanding that like there's still a developmental stage when you are going in to make a record and to allow that to happen and I that's a mistake that I've made a million times you know so I I totally uh, understand why it happens I think that's the biggest thing is just like being able to let that song go and let it get its own wings and really see what can happen after you you know shift some things around and See what you can really squeeze out of it. It's funny. Some people have said the same idea on this podcast before, but I think you articulated that the best uh, that we've had so far. Awesome. What's a good lesson? So you've obviously been an artist and you've worked with some other people recording. What's a good lesson you've learned from another producer? Man, a good lesson that I've learned from another producer, I would have to say, man, I'm trying to think like there's just so many things that I've taken from people that I've worked with. I, I think I think that honestly what I just said is probably the best is just mm. to, to detach yourself from it a little bit. And I don't know exactly I mean I've learned that from a couple people who have like it took me a while to understand what was actually happening, you know, and, and understand that it's okay and why I should let go and I can always come back to it. I think that be- that is probably the best lesson is to just like, you know, give a little bit in a song, you know? Gotcha. So, cool. Yeah. Um, what's a smart thing you see bands do during the recording process, like after they've got to the studio? I mean, my favorite thing to see a band do and the smartest thing is once we start tracking something, ask for the stems of whatever it is that we already have and just get, you know, make your part or whatever is going to be added onto that, like as wonderfully developed as possible. I love it when people do that. They're like, you know, can I get a rough of the drums just so my bass can be 100% perfect with it? Fantastic. That's probably the smartest thing that you could do there, you know? I 100% agreed. And sadly, like with you saying this now, I'm like, man, I see that happen so much less these days. I feel like than I used to. So that's kind of sad. Yeah. Yeah. I know. It's a... It's a rough one. So what happens during the process when you and a band disagree about something? I try, I state my case, and if it is something that I can see that the band is passionate about, then as a producer and as a writer or whoever, like, I'm ultimately wrong, you know, mm-hmm. because yes. it's, it's not my art. Mm-hmm. So when, it, when there's a big disagreement, 
I, you know, I put my feelings aside just the same way I'm asking them to put their feelings and attachments aside in the, uh, in the song. So I do that same, same exact thing and I follow their lead until we either, you know, strike gold or hit a road block and, you know, go to the drawing board again. But like most of the time that's, that's what happens is I try and be very respectful that it's, it's their property ultimately. Totally. So we have a few questions about like what you uh, your opinions and some of the modern production things. Um, do you do uh, do amp simulators have a role in your production? You know they do. I do use it for like texturing. Um, if I'm like layering, I'll always. I, I mean, lately I've been. I, I've never. I think back in the day I would not record a guitar with a DI uh, as well with a DI line, but I do that and I use it to texture. You know, I do bring some because I mean. I have uh, I use the Apollos and some of those new Universal Audio like the the amp simulating on that is pretty fantastic. It's like mm, I haven't heard it yet. It's definitely the closest, most natural thing that I've heard. And I mean, if you're trying to just have something in there to throw a little bit of uh, separation out apart or make it just like hit a, or pop in a different way a little bit more, it's um, it definitely works. But for the most part. I do, um, I try and keep that to a minimum unless it's just like a strictly a demo or something. Cool. Uh, how about sample drums? Sample drums. That's a very controversial one, I think. Yeah, that's, I what, that's what we're trying to do here. Yeah. <laughs> um, I will, I will sample a sample a drum if, if that's what somebody wants. I find though most of the time people always ask me for, you know, a, a natural sound or to keep it real. And then by the end of the day, when it gets down to a mix, they're like, they're like the drums aren't big enough. Well, I mean, it's just the, it's sad that the standard I think nowadays is to have you know drums that sit on top of everything. But I mean, that's just that's how it is. So I'll I get along with that. I I enjoy it. I do. I love the old uh, uh, copy and paste that kick drum everywhere type of routine because I'll sit there in front of a computer for seven hours <laughs> yeah, editing yeah. drums. But when, when I, I decided to do this job, if somebody had told me that. Um, how many probably months of my life I'd spend triggering drums? I might have turned out turned down the job. In the yeah. I'll tell you what though, I do. I am totally fine with triggering drums. It's quantizing that I hate more than anything. Hundred percent agreed. So, so what is your drum editing process like? Um, I will try and you know just get as clean of the take as we can. Like I go into it assuming that I'm going to use all natural sounds, but. Um, you know, obviously, I will sample when need be, but I try not to quantize. But I will use uh, I'll beat detect, and then do some uh, sampling, and you know all the fun that comes with that. So usually, I just like you know, it's pretty much just I try and not do quantizing. I try and let the song breathe a little, but you know, that's. That's what everybody's used to. So, yeah. uh, how about pitch correction? What role does that have in your productions? I try and do it as little as possible. I try if I I say like you know if we're having trouble with a part or we're trying to decide whether we're going to do it or not, I say sing with a um, like a light tuner, like a like a um, auto tune uh, effects or whatever one. That's just the very basic setup. And if it sounds natural through that, then you probably are doing you know a good enough job to where we don't even need to tune it because it's close enough it's not sounding like a machine and i try and you know limit it to things like that but i do love to get it in and melodyne which is what usually happens most of the time so mm -hmm. cool yeah. 
you produce, engineer, and mix all your records yourself? Do you also master your own records, or do you send it somewhere else? I usually send it somewhere else. Cool. Yeah, I do. Um, I don't know if you've used Lander, but that's I, quite a wild thing. Yeah, I have to say my experience with Lander has not been very good. Um, yeah. It's, it's I, I just, uh, you know, as somebody whose main job is a mastering engineer, uh, it's, it's just like, uh, I think that's missing the uh, nuance to me sometimes. Absolutely. 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 I, the, the thing like that gets me with it is like the only reason that I ever run anything through is when I'm sending like a rough uh because I always hear it's not loud enough. And I'm like, well, mm, yeah. it's not mastered or even very mixed right now. Like, I don't know what what else to do other than squash it through something like that. But gotcha. um, yeah, I do know it, it makes everything a very harsh, you know? Yeah, it, 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 it's a little, little scary, uh, the, you know, like uh, a few years ago, I was, I was talking to somebody and they're like, well, at least musicians will never get uh, killed, job will never get killed off by the robot. And then I saw that, I was like, Wow, looks like the robot's yeah. coming from the mastering engineer's job. I, I know, man. It's crazy. And then you see advertising for that everywhere. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's it's nuts. It's really nuts. How long do you like to take to work on a song, ideally? I say, like, I usually say, like, if I'm doing, like, full tracking, like, I set aside usually, like, a day and a half to two days per track. I mean, that's, like, saying, like, everything mm-hmm. in the track. So usually I'll, I'll do it like that, you know? And I think that most of the time works out. What's one of the best moments you've had in the studio? Jeez, I think every time I have one of those moments where it's like everybody just clicks mm-hmm. and everything just clicks and it just makes sense and you don't need to do anything to a song. Like, I think one of my favorite moments ever, I was working with this band called Paradise Fears, who I remember this moment like so well because they were like, we want to track this song live. And every time a band wants to do that, I get a little bit nervous but I'm like, we're gonna, we'll go for it. And we did this song, and it was totally live. And like, I had things mic'd like the weirdest ways. I had just like things everywhere. It looked like an absolute mess. But they recorded the song, and it was like dynamically just came out perfect in one of those like weird moments to where it's like, that's probably the only time I've ever really had like something I was totally happy with that was tracked live. And it was, uh, it was really cool because they were just like, dynamically, they just hit everything 100% perfect. I mean, we had to do it a bunch of times, but the one that worked was, was pretty magical. So yeah, that was, uh, that was probably one of my favorite moments when everything can come together. And it's like, you don't have to sit there and pull your hair out for hours and hours trying to like, edit something it's just like that was one of the rarest times for me to just like i'll press record i guess that's that's what i do now that's my job <laughs> so i'll take it you know nice yeah that is that is rare so i, I can understand right. that being being pretty eventful um what was one of the worst moments you've had in the studio and what'd you learn from it oh man i don't think i can talk about them but i'd say <laughs> come on usually, there's, a, there's a lesson you can pass on to some yeah. to the listeners I think my favorite and slash worst things that happen are the meltdowns when or like seeing, you know, a lot of singers. And I don't know if you encounter this or ever did, but a lot of times when it's time for someone to sing, their vocal is they anticipate it. They'll develop some type of cold or or sickness, which then develops into, you know, a very emotional thing. And I understand exactly. I mean, I totally get that because you're putting yourself out there in a way that's, you know, 
that's difficult to hear opinions about sometimes, no matter at what level you're performing at. So I think the worst things that happen in here are, you know, uh, the occasional, like, just really, really bad, bad meltdown when you're overthinking everything and really like putting way too much pressure on what you're actually doing. Like as far as that, I mean, as far as being a producer, I'd say that's, that's it. As far as being, you know, like on the engineering or the recording side of it, it's mostly the worst thing that I have is when I'm in the middle of a session, your computer completely uh, breaks and you lose absolutely everything that you've just done. That is definitely the worst. <laughs> it's funny because sure. you could turn to the band and you could be like, this is something that happens to everybody, but it's just like one of those things, like just like uh, the guy who can't get it up, it's like they just don't believe you. <laughs> yeah. It's yeah, <laughs> like, nope, this is just you. <laughs> yep, yep. Love it. <laughs> yeah. So to get into some of the things that um, have shaped you, tell me about a record that you produced that was uh, – big change or a big mile marker in uh, your production career? I think uh, I think it was a couple years ago I did the Aaron West record mm-hmm. and the drummer and well I mean and the the singer Soupy who is fantastically talented at singing and whatnot and like you know being bringing his character to life like like crazy the thing that killed me about that record was you know just tracking uh, both of them named uh, Kennedy the drummer because he is like just an animal and seeing him like recording like how he'll go about it and get in the zone and get in like I took so much from tracking him and being like wow like the way this guy records and the way that he goes about it is insane and he doesn't mind doing it a thousand times if he has to but like it's just like push me it's like push me push me and like get what you want out of them and 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 that session taught me to like you know, just different ways to get something out of a musician, you know, and I think I, I definitely learned, learned a lot, especially on getting something out of, um, out of a drummer, just because of how easy he made absolutely everything and how fantastic, you know, he, he was at doing it. And then again, Soupy, like being able to go straight and, uh, you know, in and just lay down perfect takes for the, from the very first time. But like, what I took from all that was like just a different way to like, you know, just a lot of, a lot of different techniques from those guys and whatnot and just seeing how, how they work. I don't know that it was just a very important one for me because I, I remember being mind blown a couple times like, wow, like this, how it's, you know, coming together. And at this point I forget what the initial question was. Cause now I'm just thinking <laughs> about that session, but I know it had to just do something me, with something to, important. To, telling me, to telling me about that record. But yeah, you know, it's funny. Like, uh, Steve Evans, who's one of my best friends who does all those Wonders Years records, like he always calls me up when he's done with Kennedy and he's like, dude, it's just like he's the best to work with and he does a vocal with Super. He's like, yeah, it's so nice not doing autotune, being able to just do a record without that p- bullshit part of the, the yeah. record. So those guys yeah. definitely got something. Absolutely, man. So tell me about a perfect record that somebody else made and what makes it perfect to you. Okay, I think... For me, like one of the most perfect records of all time is the Clarity by Jimmy World. I'm sure that that's one that happens all the time. Uh, it's, but... it's so so funny. On the, I think we've taped like ten of these episodes. I think we're on six six of them. It's been a Jimmy World record, and I'm right there with you too. It's like Clarity and yeah. Bleed, Bleed American of Futures are like three of my favorite records ever. Yeah, I mean Clarity, just like it's beautiful from front to back, but it's like 
the way that that is, I mean, that's something that I will forever listen to that album and just be like, I'm mad right now. I hate everything because of how perfect it's put together. And I know that, like, I don't, I don't know how it happens, but like, I mean, from the sounds, from like how different everything sounds from song to song. I, I think one of my favorite things is just like that all the tones aren't the same, and it's something I picked up on from when I was a kid. And like, I love that about albums when it's not like track one through ten being like sounding, you know, tonally the same. And I think that's one of my favorite things about that that whole thing. Yeah, that's a, that's a good good observation on uh, on that record. Um, give me five records that were important in your musical growth. Oof, I'm gonna say Jets to Brazil, Orange Rhyming Dictionary. Uh, I'm gonna go there first. That, that's because, such a great record. Yeah, and that when that came out, that made me fall in love with sound. I mean, I'm I wasn't good at sound at all, and I had no idea what I was talking about for like a decade after that. But still, when I listen to that, it sounds fantastic. It's awesome. Oh yeah. Yeah, I mean that's like that's definitely one of my most important ones. I'm gonna go number two on the list here, and I'm just pulling it out of thin air just because I love the way this sounds. But um, this is a very different record. But it was the first, I believe it was their first record, um, "Choking Victim." And as an old, uh, <laughs> so 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 I just did the new left. I, I've done a lot of their stuff over the years, but that's funny. So no gods, no managers. Yes, yes, no. sir. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, I did the new leftover crack record. Yeah, just, the first song just went up. I've been working That's with those awesome. guys. I've been, been working with those guys for forever. That's fantastic. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, that that record it, it really is like it's a special one. It absolutely is, and it sounds so good. And like, I I think that like there's such beauty in that because it's like I mean I don't know how it was recorded back then or what they did, but that thing sounds just like it sounds great. And from all the stories that I've heard from people, it was like, you know, it's like, yeah, we don't know how it happened, but it's awesome. <laughs> you know, it's just, I know that that was a re- record that they were really tortured making. Like they really did not enjoy the process, and it was very arduous. And uh, yeah, it's, it's a it's a funny thing because it just has you know, there's no record that sounds like that record. Yeah, it's crazy. It's also funny because I never would have known you were a choking victim guy. You're <laughs> early November. I did not sit there like, oh, he's definitely a kid who grew up on choking victim. <laughs> yeah, no, that was our that was our jam. I used to cover that thing back in high school. Uh, that's really funny. Yeah, it was the same, same same thing as like my high school years. That that was just like those seven, early seven inches were where I was, was out when I was in high school, and I just loved them. Yeah, yeah, man, it's. Those were the days, you know? <laughs> yeah. Great stuff. So what else you got? I'm going to have to go with uh, um, that, uh, which I can't, for some reason I'm blanking on the title, but that Glass Draw record. The, uh, oh, uh, everything you want to know about Silence or Worship and Tribute? Worship and Tribute. I'm going to go Worship and Tribute because that was like, I just think like that did something and made a whole shift. It was just a very important record at the time, you know, and I feel like that, that was just awesome. I'm going to go with like any one of the at the drive-in records for me because it taught me about chaos and how important like tension is and i think that is something that that band did so well and i loved like to me tension in a record is just important just as important as like you know is more important than the than the relief than the release than all that stuff because it sets you up for everything and i think they did that so good and it's you know that's more definitely a huge thing for me when it comes to uh Music is tension, and then um, I was taking you for much more of like a, a, a classics or an indie guy. 
Yeah, no, I like I like anger, and I like you know I like all sorts of things. I'm very uh, very all over the place. Yeah, I mean those are those records are all very important for all different things. But so, what's a record of recent times that you've been really enjoying, and what inspires you about it? Cool. You know, honestly, I. I like to listen to a, a lot of everything, and one that just came out was the. Uh, I'm going to throw to the, uh, which is also a very different record than everything that we've just talked about. But the uh, the newest Bring Me the Horizon record. I don't know if you expected that one, but I did. I did not expect that one either. I ju- I just listened to that for the first time on like Monday. So yeah, the thing about that album that, and the reason I think I keep listening to it is, I mean, a lot of a lot of reasons. I mean, I do genuinely believe that's a great album i think that it's they definitely are doing something very good for their scene and it's it's awesome uh but i love like i said earlier like i'm a huge fan of you know programming and all that stuff and i think all the programming on that as far as you know as well as how hard it is is just it takes that whole scene and everything to another level and i think that that's really 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 cool i really respect like the work that went into that because I know it's not easy just like everybody thinks like I one of my biggest pet peeves about about music is people like dissing on electronic or anything like that because they're like oh yeah the computer does everything and you just press a button it's easy to press a button it's like it's not pressing a button like you're designing how something sounds most of the time and when you when I use the word manipulate a lot but when you can take a vocal and manipulate where it goes and make it like sound like something that you can't get a sound from it's like that's very impressive to me it's like when you can take something and make it you know something completely different and do these tricks and things and at the end of the day it comes out being something that no one could have ever imagined you just created something out of thin air and that's what i uh, really appreciate about those style records and that record you know as well there's there's a specific chorus where they do that and it's like i think it's just awesome that that happened and I mean, also it's just some of the cool little things that they did with the uh, the cheerleaders on the one song. I thought was really yeah, neat. that's really like, awesome. Yeah, I think a lot of the stuff that they're doing, as far as all that goes, and all the other things that go into songs, is is extremely uh, creative and cool. So nice. Yeah, I, I, you know, it's funny too. Is like as a guy who's mostly known for raw punk records, most of what I listen to is dance music, and you know, yeah. I, I'm right there with you. Like, I, there's yeah, nothing yeah. worse than hearing somebody who's like a rockist. Be like, yeah. oh, this dance crap, da, 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 just sitting on a laptop. It's like, dude, there, there's a million more possibilities in that laptop than there is on a guitar. I mean, you get you you know so many more sounds when you sit there and you have to file through everything and decide and you know and design a sound for yourself or design whatever. Like I, I it bummed me out so much when Skrillex got huge and I mean I remember him when he was in the other band and he was like you know young and like I never I mean I knew him and you know we toured and all that stuff but I never really had too much of an opinion but anyway when that happened when Skrillex got massive and like everybody was just oh man you know just saying so many negative things I mean from our scene or whatever I mean there was millions of people obviously who loved it which is why he's you know the most famous <laughs> yeah well and, uh, and, 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 that year, and that year he was the single most listened to artist that year right and I it always bummed me out so much when people would like you know, talk bad about him because I'm like, you don't understand what it takes to do what the guy just did. Like, not only did he achieve something that, you know, uh, 99.9% of people ever will, but he created like, you know, 
music and emotion in a way that we never knew existed. And it's like, that's cool, you know? Yeah. I, I am right there with you. And it was very funny because like the first time I heard that record, it was the first time I ever felt, felt old from music. I'm like, I don't get this. And then I kept yeah. listening and then I got it. And then I was like, oh, wow. Okay, I'm all in. Yeah, yeah, it's nuts, man. So our last question is, uh, what have you been working on lately? Um, I have been doing a ton of uh, cool stuff over here. Actually, I just got back from tour a few few weeks ago. I have some bunch of mixes that I'm doing right now. And um, let me think, what do I have coming in that I'm looking forward to more Aaron West stuff? I'm getting, getting in the saddle for that again. Um, a bunch of things that uh i'm very excited about but i can't say anything about okay and then <laughs> and maybe maybe some things you did in the past that you, you you can say something about oh you know what i'm really excited about this band this young pop band that i work with called the weekend riot who are awesome fantastic dudes and they are going to be massively huge very soon but like they are uh just like from r writing and recording with them is like it's it's one of those things that like makes it so extremely easy anyway they're they're awesome young pop band fantastic love working with those guys um and uh i'm trying to cycle through, through here but I know, this is the thing i'm worst at is people are like so what have you been working on and i'm like oh yeah. i might have to look at my calendar yeah <laughs> yeah it's funny the guys the guys i had in the other day were going to meet johnny from water me down at your studio to pick up something from him oh wow how about that yeah <laughs> Yeah, Very he was here. World. That's that's something cool I was working on. There you go. Yeah, nice. <laughs> Thank you for reminding me. <laughs> yeah, I love that record. I got to master that that last TP he did, and he's super talented. Yeah, cool kid. Very, very cool. If you enjoyed this episode, please remember the golden rule of the internet, that if you enjoy something you got for free, please tweet, Facebook, share, or tell your friends about it in whatever way you like to do that. Please check out Noise Creator's website and take a look around. We have tons of interviews, discographies, Spotify playlists from all the best producers out there on our service. If you're unsure about who your band should work with, we can help you get the best producer fit for your record. To keep up with us, follow at Noise Creators on Twitter, Instagram, SoundCloud, Tumblr, or Facebook. This podcast can be also be found wherever podcasts are found, including iTunes and Stitcher. I'm your host, Jesse Cannon. I can be found on Twitter at Jesse Cannon or at jessecannon.com. Again, please help spread the word about this podcast and what Noise Creators does so we can keep this going. 